Good morning and happy Sabbath. That was a beautiful song, Angel. Thank you very much. A while back, a friend gave me or suggested a book to read called Dare to Ask for More. And as I was reading the book, it it, it shared so many things about prayer that I was that was I was not aware of. And so that led me to readings of Ellen White on prayer and more on prayer and realize that the list is endless on prayer, which is a good thing because I believe God had a lot to say and Jesus did too in the Bible. So I wanted to share with you uh, a story uh, that came from that book and it's about Alexander the Great. It's a true story. Alexander the Great uh, was a mighty conqueror and a king. And although he lived long before uh, the time of Christ, around 300 B.C., his reputation still lives on today. As history tells us, um, he conquered all of the then-known world. In his 15 years of conquest, he never lost a battle, with success beginning at the tender age of 18. In fact, it was told that when he reached Asia, he realized there were no more countries to conquer, and he actually wept. Besides being a great conqueror, he was also a compassionate ruler. Every year he set aside one day he called Compassionate Day, and he would invite uh, and, you know, allow random people to uh, make a request of whatever they would want or need. Most people would ask for food, clothes, money for medicine, and so on, and he would grant that. However, one year there was a man who dared to ask for more. Speaking through the king's spokesman, the man shared his request. Can you please tell the king that I want a large palace? And before, oh, and I want, but before he could continue, the spokesman interrupted him with irritation in his voice. What impertinence? Don't you see all these people asking for food and medicine and clothes? How dare you to think that you can ask for a palace? But the man continued earnestly. I want the palace to include a large banquet hall where I can host a celebration because I have lots of friends. And I want the palace to be well furnished and I want a special meal prepared. Spokesman stopped him again as he was getting angrier. I will not ask the king for this. This is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. At this point, King Alexander heard the commotion and he came out. What does the man desire, he asked. The spokesman reluctantly turned toward the king whispering in low tones, and said to him, King, I'm afraid to tell you this, but I can't believe how unreasonable this man is. And I know you'll be upset, but he's asking for a palace. Not only does he have the audacity to ask for a palace, but he's asked you to make a large banquet hall because obviously he has lots of friends, and he wants the whole thing to be fully furnished and a special meal prepared for them. I know this is such an unreasonable request. And I tried to get him to ask for something else, but he persisted. King Alexander paused for a moment. Then with a large smile on his face, he turned toward the petitioner, and he said, Request granted. The spokesman looked at the king in astonishment. How could you honor such an outrageous request? He asked in shock. The king replied, still smiling, You see, all these people are asking for food, for medicine, and for mundane things. They think that's the only thing I can give them. They don't need a king to give them these things. 
Anyone with extra resources could give it. But this man, this man, he's the first man that's really made me feel like the king that I am. For only I can grant such a request. Ephesians 3.20 says, as the Bible tells us, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's in us. This story isn't, you know, of course, seeing God as our Santa Claus. It's in believing what the God of all the universes can do for us and through us, also for the purpose of ultimately being used by God to redeem souls or bring lost souls to salvation. We have unlimited spiritual possibilities within our grasp. If we look to God in faith, We're living in the last days of this earth's history. If we have the king and creator of the universes with unlimited resources offering to us our heart's desire according to his will, what are we waiting for? God also answers the very personal prayer. If he knows the number of hairs on our head, he knows our sitting up, he knows our standing. I said that wrong. Standing up and sitting down. It shouldn't surprise us. I mean, look at John, John Risky. He's a living, literally example of answered prayer. So why do we not pray for more and pray more earnestly? I have asked that question to myself, too. If the gospel is going to all ends of the world and Jesus is going to return, things can't continue if they've been much longer. We need a much deeper spiritual experience than we've ever yet imagined. We, I, need a deeper prayer life. We, I, need a much deeper faith in God's word. We, I, need a much set, I've settled for a deeper, I have settled for a superficial prayer life. Maybe we all have. But God is calling all of us to something much greater, to be spiritual giants and intercede for the lost. Moses, Hannah, David, Jacob, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, all the prophets, and so many others in the Bible, they prayed with a heart cry, pleading on knees, weeping their heart's desire for the people of Israel to repent. It would not let go until God answered. Remember the story of Joshua where God promised that his enemies would be overtaken? And the sun stood still, what Jacob had asked for which God did for a full 24 hours to complete the battle. The Spirit of God inspired Joshua's prayer that evidence might again be given of the power of Israel's God. Hence, the request didn't show presumption on the part of the great leader. Joshua had received the promise that God would surely overthrow these enemies of Israel. Here is the man who for hours lay prostrate upon the earth in prayer in the camp of Gigal. The men of prayer are the men of power. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the almighty arm. That's out of Patriarchs and Prophets. Now is no different than Bible times. God is the same today, tomorrow, yesterday. He doesn't change. His pattern over and over again is love for us. He's after salvation of souls, and he is relentless. He will not give up on us. He desperately wants us all in heaven. We know that's not going to happen, though. So whatever it takes to teach us his ways, the perfect way, his will, spending much time seeking his will, 
and the only way is by learning to know him personally through his word, fasting, prayer, testimony. He has unlimited power to bestow upon us. He can be our best friend, cry on his shoulder. They're big. Rejoice with him with your joys. He wants to hear from us. Cry out even at anger at him. He so desperately wants us to be with him and talk with him and he with us. The more we talk with God as a friend, the more he'll share his own heart with us as well. What happens when God doesn't answer prayer? Or we feel we're ignored. Or it feels like he's forgotten us. Maybe his answer is, not now, child. The timing isn't right. Or he sees what we're praying for is not in our best interest. Remember, God wants and desires only the best for us. Our capacity to receive his blessings is our faith. However, we cannot insult God by praying for something while we ourselves are in the middle of clinging to our sin. A young woman whom I love and know, she shared with me that she had been praying to pass her licensing so that she could practice in a warmer state. She doesn't spend time with him nor in the word. Would God be willing to answer her due to her intentional sinful lifestyle? Would she even be able to hear him if he did? As sin separates us from God. In Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. The thing that matters most to him is our heart. Are we surrendered? Are we uh, obediently following his will? Are we following his word? This is where the penitent and confessing mouth and heart comes in when we come to the Lord. He never sleeps. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me 24-7. Are we desperate for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in our lives, in others' lives? Are we desperate for personal revival? Are we desperate enough to step out of our comfort zone and join our brothers and sisters in deep soul for prayer? 1 John 5, 14 and 15. If you could, please turn with me. I have the New Kings James Version. That's 1 John 5, 14, 15. If 1 John, John and 1 John, if it's something that you haven't studied yet in, in prayerful um, thought, it is just fills your heart with how much love that God has for us. First John five fourteen and 15. And this is the very confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. It absolutely needs to be his will. He knows above us what is in our and others' best interest. I read of a man who asked his pastor what it would take for a true Holy Spirit revival to come upon his life and his ministry. His pastor explained that he'd have to baptize him first to show him. The man thought it was a little strange, but he agreed to be baptized. In the baptismal tank, the pastor covered his his nose and gently lowered him into the tank under the water. Rather than lifting him back up, the pastor continued holding him underwater. 
The man, not sure it was happening, began to struggle. But the pastor's grip was strong, and after a few moments, panic seized him, and he, and believing that the pastor was trying to drown him, he began to thrash about. Um, trying to get free. At this point, the pastor then brought him to the surface. Visibly shaking and gasping for breath, the man shouted, What are you trying to do? You trying to drown me? The pastor calmly replied, When you are as desperate for revival as you were just now for that next breath of air, then the Lord will send revival. I myself am still figuring this out. When it comes to prayer time, me, I have to choose morning. Throughout the day, it can be sprinkled with prayer, uh, but the morning to me is more focused. It sets my day right, and that's when I have to share it with the Lord. Many times, I mean, especially if you ask, he may wake you up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. He's done that to me. I believe it's him. And I'll say, I need my sleep. Be assured, though, he'll keep you energized throughout the day, awake, focused, and with more mental capabilities than ever before. Remember, Satan desires to keep all of us too busy to seek power from God. Satan is powerless otherwise. In Matthew 6, 6 6-13, then also in Luke, it shares the Lord's Prayer and how the Lord wants us to pray. But starting in Matthew... Can we turn to Matthew, please? Matthew 6, 6, 13. So his disciples asked, and one of them, starting with 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Oh, I find that precious. In this manner, therefore, pray. Would you say it with me? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. Here are the disciples who must have seen passionately how Jesus prayed and how he was a man of prayer like no other man ever born. Jesus prayed so frequently that almost every time before or after something occurred, he prayed. He should be our model in prayer, for if the Son of God, who was God himself, saw the great need to pray, how much more do we need prayer? One thing the disciples also said was to teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And the John that they speaking of, I believe it was John the Baptist. And that he prayed and taught his own disciples how to pray. 
But of course, Jesus' lesson would be so much better than John the Baptist teaching on it. So in Luke, if we could please turn to Luke, Luke 11, beginning with verse 2. Eleven, verse 2. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. So obviously all us Christians must be praying people. When we pray, we must pray Father, because he is our Father, to whom we obey. For not a child of God then we're children of the devil. Now, I didn't say it. John 8, 44 to 45. God will not answer the prayers of sinners, John 9, 31, but only those who are his, 1 John, but we've read 5, 14 to 15. So if you are born again, John 3, 3, then he is your father, so pray to him as father. Next, we're to hallow his name, for his name is holy. That's what it means to hallow his name. We should seek to honor Revere, glorify his name above all things because he is most worthy. Then we should pray for God's kingdom to come to the earth because that is God's purpose fulfilled when the kingdom of God is established here on earth and then God's will, which is already being done in heaven, can be done on earth. Give us each day our daily bread. We have the great privilege to pray directly to God the Father, of our great high priest and intercessor, in Jesus Christ's name, whose name we should always pray, because God listens to the prayers of saints because of Jesus' access to the throne room of heaven. We're to ask for our daily bread, in the sense of the word of God being our daily bread, for Jesus told Satan that man should not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. So we should be in his word daily, feeding on the bread of life. If we only open our Bible in church, we're spiritually starving the rest of the week. This could also be seen as asking God for our daily sustenance of our daily allotment of food, shelter, and clothing. There's nothing wrong with praying for daily needs. But Jesus did not say to pray for tomorrow's bread, but only for today's because he said, give us each day our daily bread. Nothing said about tomorrow's bread, but we can just be concerned about today. He takes care of tomorrow, just like the manna that came down from heaven. Any manna, remember, kept for the next day became maggot infested. So God will give us just enough for each and every day, and we're commanded to not worry about tomorrow, Matthew six thirty four. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And that's out of Luke. God is not going to answer our prayers if we have unconfessed sin or if we have something against someone. We owed a debt that we could not pay, but he paid a debt he did not owe so that we might have access to God. If we haven't forgiven someone, then we need to go to that person and ask to be forgiven and then come back to God to pray for our needs and the needs of others.
and lead us not in temptation. God doesn't lead us into temptation. The Greek word for temptation is actually parosmos, which literally means a trial, proving, or testing. So what he's saying, lead us not into tests or trials so that we won't fall or fail. God doesn't test us or allow us to be tested, but no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So God is not tempting us at any time. And then for years is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We acknowledge that it's God's kingdom and it's his power and it's for his glory, which is forever and ever that we should pray for. Certainly we always... uh, ought to pray for God to be glorified because God is worthy to be glorified and honored and praised. We're to fulfill that part of God's purpose in our life and that part to seek and glorify his name in all that we do, say, and think. When we take credit for things that God has done, we rob God of his due glory, and God's not happy when we don't give him the glory and if we keep it for ourselves. If we do this, he will surely humble us because he's opposed to those that are prideful. But he'll give you grace if we humble ourselves before him. James 4, 6. God speaks to Isaiah the prophet when he said, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Isaiah 42, 8. We can glorify God by becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, submitting to him, repenting of our sins, confessing them to God, and then trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we do, we can pray to that Father in heaven and be confident. We can be confident of his goodness. From Ellen G. White, writings on prayer. We do not value as we should the power power and efficiency, efficiency of prayer. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God desires us to come to him in prayer that he may enlighten our minds. He alone can give clear conceptions of truth. He alone can soften and subdue the heart. He can quicken the understanding to discern truth from error. He can establish the wavering mind and give it a knowledge and a faith that will endure the test. Pray then, pray without ceasing. The Lord who heard Daniel's prayer will hear yours if you'll approach him as Daniel did. Why do we pray? Acquaints us with the Father. We come to know who he is. Enlightens our mind regarding what is truth gives us discernment between truth and error, unites us with each other and with God in true fellowship. We'll learn of God's will for us through prayer. Isn't this what us Christians desire? God's guidance in authoring all things through wisdom and understanding. Prayer for the sick and others. We know intercessory prayer works. Don't we, John? Prayer for forgiveness, repentance, and confession 
is necessary for salvation. Supplies temporal necessities, reduces our worry. Enables us to resist temptation, to live according to his will in obedience. Prayer reinforces our convictions and builds our faith. Prepares us for membership in the church above. This also uh, from her writings from Selected Messages 1, page 121. Revival will come only in answer to prayer. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to attain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give us his Holy Spirit to them that ask than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant his blessings. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. There is need today of such revival of true heart religion as was experienced by ancient Israel. We need, like them, to bring forth fruit need meat for repentance, to put away our sins, cleansing the defiled temple of the heart that Jesus may reign within. There is need of prayer, earnest, prevailing prayer, that our Savior has left precious promises for the truly penitent petitioner. Her message is on prayer. God wants to reveal more of himself. But if we can't, if we have a lack of belief in him to do more. Ellen White states, Just so long as the church is satisfied with small things, will it fail of receiving the great things of God. Let's set aside our own agenda and begin each day with our Lord's agenda, making him our priority. First thing every day, surrendering, consecrating our hearts to sing with him, plead with him, seeking him and his will in our lives, asking him what he wishes us to pray for, holding tight to his love, for he truly is our friend and savior. And then let's ask for more in our lives and others' lives. He dares us to ask for more by coming boldly to his throne. Dear Heavenly Father, what's really difficult to grasp our minds and hearts around is the intense, unconditional love that you have for us. We don't see it in this world much, dear Lord, at all. And you have it in absolute abundance for us. Dear Lord, we ask, we pray, continue drawing our hearts to you, dear Lord. You want to make so much more of our life, and you have so much to bestow upon us with your blessings that we come to you, dear Lord, with whatever on our hearts in sharing and conversation, dear Lord, that we come to you. You'll fill our lives and our hearts still alive, dear Lord, with, with much more joy than we can ever, ever imagine. We ask and praise your holy, precious name, dear Lord. Amen.